Yes, you've arrived at the Legend Podcast at DaxMyHand.com. How did I become a legendary sports figure? How does anyone become legendary? It starts with a coach. Join us as we have conversations with coaches of all ages, experience, and expertise, and find out what does it take to lead athletes to legendary status. We're here today with Briston Prowl, the middle school basketball, girls basketball coach at North Marshall Junior High. Briston, how are you? Good. How are you all? So, Briston, let's go back. Let's talk about who is Briston Prowl. We know, you know, I know you're from Caldwell County or went to high school at Caldwell County. So just tell us about, give us a quick biography of who is Briston and, and, and why are we interested in talking to her? From Fredonia, the big city. I lived there my whole life, live on a farm. That's uh, what my family does. Uh, work cows on or do cows, I understand uh, cows is what y'all uh, yeah I used to milk cows from uh, the time I was you know I guess old enough to be in a milk bar until we finished we got out of the business when I was I guess a senior in college um, and then we row crop and so that's if I wasn't playing ball, then I was usually running around on a four-wheeler, probably in a field full of cows. Yeah, I was told by some people <laughs> that you didn't come to town much because you were too busy, you know, with the cows and, and on that. So when you did come to town, it was mainly just to practice or... or... Oh, I, I think I did my fair share of running around probably, but pr- yeah, practice was a lot. I think I probably missed a lot of... um kid events growing up for practice for one reason or the other now you i know you played uh, basketball at caldwell county i assume softball as well yes sir okay because I, I, I actually uh we were talking before the podcast i actually got to see you play i didn't realize how young you were when when we saw you play you uh let me know you're an eighth grader i was thinking you were a sophomore or junior even so uh so i think i saw you at lyon county one night uh with uh just to let everybody know, uh, Dennis Jones used to be an employee of mine at the phone company. He had a daughter that played with you at, at Caldwell. Yes, Missy was a senior when I was in the eighth grade. She was uh, the point guard, and then whenever she graduated, I started being the point guard as a freshman after she left. Okay, so Coach Forrester was your coach at Caldwell. Would you tell, tell us something you took away from her. What are your memories of playing for her? I love Coach Forrester. We are um, as close right now as we were when I was in high school. Coach Forster had the utmost confidence in me from the time I was in the seventh grade until the time I graduated. She um, she trusted me as a freshman and gave me the ball to start, I think, four games into the basketball season, and we never looked back after that. Um, she was didn't care to tell me how it was, and, and I took it from her because I respected her as much as I respect anybody. Um, she has – a great amount of knowledge for of basketball. Her husband David was our assistant coach. He has a tremendous amount of knowledge for basketball. Um, they were, I guess, what you would call players' coaches. Uh, we knew when it was time to be very serious, and we knew when there was a time for us to laugh and to be able to have a good time. Um, she demanded hard work, respect, and. And those issues were those were never issues. You knew what to expect when the minute you walked on the floor, and and that's the way we handled things. Um, practices were tough. We ran a lot. We were in good shape before the season started, and we played hard. If you didn't play hard, it, you didn't play. Um, 
she's just, I don't know that I could have ever had a better experience of anybody else than hers, my coach. Um, I, I tell her all the time, now when it's my turn to be the head coach, you're going to help me, right? And uh, she just laughs, and, and I beg her all the time to help me. She comes to some games every once in a while, but she's got a young son, and uh, we just laugh about me screaming and yelling like she used to scream and yell at us. And and just the – she coached with a lot of passion, and that definitely reflects in the way that I coach. She didn't care to yell at you. She didn't care to get after you and tell you how it was, and she expected a response. And she got one most of the time. And looking back, you at times you probably didn't like it when you played for her, but now looking back you realize – Oh, no, I loved her from the start. Like okay. I loved her from the start. Um, we had that kind of relationship. She trusted me on the floor, and I trusted her. And I think that goes a long way when a when a kid buys into what you say or buys into what you're selling. Um, great things can happen, and and that definitely happened to us. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go in with what you just said. You talked about trust and buy in. How do you know when one of your kids has bought into your program? Or what you're trying to do. Because they play hard. And when they when you tell a kid something and they look at you in the eyes and shake their head, like, yes, they understand, they've bought in. When a kid goes out, it doesn't matter if they're 5 or 35. If you have somebody to trust you, they're going to go play hard for you. Um, by the time we got to the end of this season, every kid on the floor was playing hard. And that lets me know that, that they trust what I'm saying. And I tell them. Um, when I coached, uh, you don't have to agree with what I'm saying. You may think I'm the craziest person around, but if you're going to play on this basketball team, you have to trust me because I have the utmost faith in you. You have to have the utmost faith in me. Is trust a two-way street or is it a one-way street or what's been your experience with it? It's a two-way street as far as you have to trust them, they have to trust you. I'm as competitive as the day is long. I don't like to lose. And I can't stand for somebody not to give everything they have every time they step on the floor. But as a coach, I guess the lesson that I learned the quickest was it doesn't matter how bad you want it, they have to want it too. There comes a point where you have to trust them that the the keys and the tools that you've given them, they're going to use in a game. And it doesn't matter if you call the same play 20 times in a row. If they don't run it right – It's not going to work, but you still have to trust that they know how to do it and that they're going to get the job done because at the end of the day, you can't step out there and do it for them. Can you give us an example of maybe a time where you didn't feel like you were getting, uh, you know, that effort? You're talking about playing hard, that effort, and how would you handle that from a player or a team? That's It's probably the most frustrating part of my job. I'm not old, (laughs) I don't guess. Uh, I don't feel that way. At least not compared to Shane. You're not that old. Right. Who graduated with me, so yeah. One thing that I noticed from playing ball till now is kids are different. Um, Like I'd said before, you know, when I was a kid, all I did was play ball. When you have a bunch of kids that come in that have had minimal experience playing basketball, you have to change the way you feel. I'll never change the way I feel about basketball. I'll never, you know, I don't think that's ever going to change. I love the game of basketball. It's very serious to me. It's passion to me and sometimes I think that you're going to come across kids that play basketball that maybe don't have that passion that you do that especially when they're in middle school you know it might be something new that they're trying and they figured out hey I'm, I'm, I'm not bad at this and I think you have to to learn to coach kids 
that maybe have a different view on the sport that you do. And just because they have a different view doesn't mean that they're not coachable. You just have to maybe go about it a different way. Some kids can't handle being yelled at. Some kids can't handle being nice to them. You know, I just think you have to work and and find that trust and whatever it takes for them to trust you and whatever it takes for you to trust them so you can gel and do what's best for the team. That's what it's about anyways, everybody doing their part for the team. So what kind of player were you? Were you the one who enjoyed being yelled at? Or what What was it it took to motivate you from a coaching standpoint? Oh, I didn't care to be yelled at. I think I got yelled at from the time I started playing till the time I finished playing. My dad didn't care to yell at me. My middle school coach didn't care to yell at me. My high school coach didn't care to yell at me. Um, I think it's different. I played a point guard my whole life. To me, that's a different position. Point guard is the leader. You're the leader of your team. You're the leader on the floor. You are the brain behind the operation. It's always been my experience that the point guard takes the blunt end of every deal. It's the, the point guard takes the blame. So as a coach, I tend to be harder on the people who I think need to be the leaders. And I guess that's not always good, especially when you're dealing with younger kids. Well, going on that point right there, what tells you – that a kid is a leader what what attributes are you looking for in a, in a kid that says hey right there's a leader versus maybe another kid over here he's not a leader well it's got to be a kid that has confidence leaders have confidence and that's not to be confused with somebody that is overconfident or cocky somebody that knows how to play within themselves there's no one in this room that has ever had that problem nobody nobody no one i think a leader is someone that plays within themselves doesn't care about how many points they score doesn't care about how many rebounds they have. They are someone who does all of the little things to get the win. They are the ones that pick up a player when they're having a rough game. They're the ones that get after somebody when they aren't playing hard. You know, a leader is someone that that makes the team work together. And you're right, not everybody has those leadership qualities. And I think especially middle school girls – that's a different age. They're trying to find themselves. They go through a lot of changes, and sometimes finding a leader is hard. Sometimes you just yell at everybody and figure out who can handle it and who can't, and if they're going to respond. And I think that has a lot to do with it. If you if you get after somebody and they respond in a positive way and they can carry everyone else around them, that's somebody that's got some leadership qualities. As an outsider watching your team for the last couple of years, with my son being at North Marshall and then being an eighth grader, you know, I've got to observe your team kind of from afar with without the vested interest of having a child on that right. team. And, you know, one thing I noticed this year was an emergence of your team. Last year, you, you struggled quite a bit. Uh, you know, you didn't – I personally, I didn't see a lot of leadership out there on the team. Whereas this year, there was a – you could really see the the drive to win ball games, and there was a definite difference in one year to the other. How do you explain that? What what did you uh, talk about? How did the metamorphosis or the transformation what, – what was the biggest drive behind that? This group of eighth graders, I had them since they were in the sixth grade. This was the first group of kids I've seen all the way through. And I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, whenever, like you said, whenever you trust somebody, they were only exposed to me. Whether that's good or bad, I think as long as you trust someone and buy into that, that makes a difference. You know, those kids saw me from the start, and and they definitely got treated different from a sixth grader to eighth graders. And I think they finally took some pride into what they wanted to accomplish. You know, they finally decided, 
you know, maybe she's not as crazy as all of her yelling is all the time. Maybe, maybe, maybe she does believe in us, you know, and, and they decide they want to play hard. You know, we won some games that we probably shouldn't have won this year. And we played with some teams, even in losses, that we probably wouldn't have played with last year. And I think that that definitely has something to do with it. You know, anytime you swap coaches, it's not necessarily, you know, that one coach is better or worse than another. It's just you may have a different coaching style. So when you get to see a group all the way through, that kind of changes their perspective and trust of you as a coach. So what I'm hearing here is the continuity was one of the major factors that, that's enabled, you know, you were able to take the kids from sixth grade and, and see them through. And you're, you're probably seeing that also speed along your younger kids. Oh, yes. Because they see the leaders that the eighth graders have become. And, yes. and it helps from a coaching standpoint. Would you agree with that? I agree with that. We try to run practice a lot like how my high school practice was ran. You know, we do a lot of high school drills. And sometimes it, it may be more than what they can handle. But you're just trying to to prepare them for for what's next and trying to find leaders and trying to find out, you know, who really has some vested interest in this and who really wants to take it to the next level and just see those kids through, no matter what it is. And that's what I tell them, no matter what you do in life, if you decide to be a cheerleader next year or you decide to be in the band or you decide to do run track instead of play basketball, that's fine. But I hope the one thing you take away from me is that you give 100% no matter what you do. One question we tend to ask every podcast, being as this is our second one, so so this will be two in a row. Yeah, two in a row. We've got some consistency here. Do you believe leaders are born or are they made? I think leaders are born. (laughs) I just think that some people possess those qualities and some people do not. It's not it's not a bad if you're not a leader. It's just not your personality. But I think there are some people that were just made to stand above and help direct, if you will. Not that they're the best – they may not even necessarily be the best basketball player on your team. I played ball with a lot of kids that were a lot more athletic. Some people think the game. Some people are very good at playing the game. Um, a leader is definitely somebody that I just think is born with those qualities. I think it's very hard to make a leader. Just there's a lot of things that go into it. That Are, are there people that. out there that – that maybe are leaders that never have it pulled out of them? Is that, so is that kind of what I'm I think, from? yes. I think it all depends on, you know, the type of personality somebody has and the way that they were coached or pushed through life. Even, you know, maybe not just coaching, but just who they were in contact with in their everyday lives. Sometimes people are more comfortable standing in the back, even though they have those leadership skills. They never just take that step forward. But what's been the biggest surprise to you since becoming a coach? For going going back from your playing days to all of a sudden now you're a coach, what was the one thing that, that surprised you or shocked you about coaching that you didn't anticipate? It's a tough question. We only ask tough questions here. True. It's very true. Coaching girls, the one thing that shocked me was they don't play ball like they used to when I was a kid. You know, I get a lot of kids in the sixth grade that have two or less years of basketball experience. That absolutely baffled me because I had been playing basketball for so long. I think that is a is a big change from when I went when I played and when I first started coaching. And I'm a yeller and a get after you and a screamer and a you know, that's how I was coached and I don't can't necessarily do that to all your kids now. It's just different. Mm-hmm. They're different, we're different, the way things are handled are different. 
But that's probably not the answer you thought I was going to give. But with girls, I think it's different. You know, boys, they grow up, and when their friends come over, they go outside and they play football or basketball or baseball. Girls aren't like that. So especially when I dropped from – I got right out of college, went straight to high school coaching, and then I dropped to middle school. That was probably the most baffling thing to me was that kids – girls just don't – they don't play ball like they used to. They don't just get out and go play and learn to play and – you know, I had one year coaching elementary girls uh, with my daughter, and the thing, and, and Eli agreed with me on this when we were talking about the difference in coaching girls and boys. Yes. The thing that I saw, boys, you can tell them what you want to do, and you shove them out there. And I think a lot of it is what you were just talking about that they play together. They're used to mm-hmm. ad libbing, whereas a lot of times, girls, you tell them what you want, want done, and they will do it exactly, exactly. the way you tell them you, with no, no ad libbing. There's no variation. Yeah, and, and that was the toughest thing for me oh, it, after having coached Blake difficult. all these years. Is when I coached Livia's team, you know, I would tell them what to do, and they did it exactly when they needed to maybe make a change and do something different no they change. would not yeah well I, I think that was the biggest thing you know you go from my first year critting you start four seniors and you can call a timeout and draw up a play and they're gonna go out and run it you call a timeout with a bunch of eighth graders and call a play and you might have to call another timeout <laughs> real fast because you can't get the ball in i just think they um they're so unfamiliar with how the game is played that if you tell them to do something specifically, they don't have enough in-game action to say, oh, I see something, and they may go cut, or they may make a different pass just because they're, they're just not used to it. They haven't had that experience. So what I'm hearing, and I, I would tend to agree with you, is it's kind of an experience issue oh, yes. than the amount um, that they play out. Okay, Briston, obviously you're the middle school coach, so yes. your feeder system <laughs> here at Marshall County is the Little League system. Yes. Is there anything that uh, – and I'm not asking you to – you know, dismantle the little league system. But is there anything that the kids could that they could do to help prepare the kids before they come to you that that you would like to see implemented, or or is there, are there things that they're doing well that that you like that you say? Well, how would you address that? Um, I think you know, little league programs are so much about learning the game. And then that's a big task, and sometimes that's hard to do when you got a lot of kids. And well, it goes it goes to what you were talking about earlier about where we were talking about how difficult it is to teach girls to freelance, and right. it's an experience issue. It's so definitely I, I see an where experience you're going. issue. And I think you know dribbling with both hands. I think that's the, one of the biggest issues I see with girls is I get a lot of kids that love to go right, but they have no idea that there's a left side of the floor. So definitely dribbling, having that confidence to dribble with both hands. And, you know, you can't, you cannot, you cannot teach heart and you cannot teach athleticism, but you can teach kids to play hard. And I think even at a young age, you know, five, six, seven, you use whatever tools you need to, to get kids excited to play, make them want to do their best. It's just like rallying them for anything at school, doing well on a test or you know, playing a basketball game well, just giving them that confidence that you believe in them and that you just want them to play hard no matter what happens. As long as everybody plays hard, then you've done your job. And I think that's the two biggest things. Maybe I say uh, dribbling because when you're a guard, I guess you think that's important. And, I mean, there's lots of things that are important and you know, defense and shooting, but those things develop. Hold up one second, Briston. You, You hit a term that I'm not familiar with. 
it started with a D. Defense? Defense. Shh, don't talk about it. Kids don't like to talk about it. I didn't like to talk about it. Oh. I thought when you said shh, you were going to my favorite word, which was shooting. Shooting. Yes. So you did not uh, live by the philosophy of offense sells tickets and defense wins ball games. You had a different one. My philosophy, and I'll tell you this, is there is no I in defense. Or team. Or well, no, no, I was I was team oriented because obviously my offense would help our team to win the ball game. Got it. I, so, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. And I and I was a um, pass first, shoot second point guard. I would have loved you as a point guard. Yeah, I, I mean, I just love to dish out the assist. You know, Briston, this is the Legends podcast, and before the podcast, we were talking, and you have a story that you would like to try to match up to the legend that, that I am regarding some play you had at North Marshall. Could you could you enlighten us on that? Oh, can anybody match the legend and what they have to say? Well, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I can tell this story. I played in the North Marshall tournament when I was in the eighth grade. Um, we got second. Callaway beat us. Um, Callaway's team was the team that I played AAU basketball with. So I knew them well, but I'm pretty sure that uh, back then they had a, I don't know, a book, a pamphlet, whatever you call it, that they handed out or you could buy that had records in it for things that happened in the tournament. And I think I broke the record for the most threes in the game and the most threes in the tournament. Now, I can't verify that anymore because I don't know when they stopped making that book, but I do remember that happening when I was in eighth grade. You know, in my experience... Whether you've got facts or not, that that works well. I mean, if if you if you believe you broke the record, we'll go with. Oh it. well, I mean, whatever you say goes. It's, this is your podcast. That's right. That's right. And you know, one time I think I wrote on an evaluation at work that I believe I had made the uh, number, although I had no uh, proof to or no, nothing to prove that I had made the number. So we're going to go with it. But that's, go a, with it. that's a good story for the Legends podcast, obviously. I'm going to have to search the uh, the locker room or the, the equipment room and see if I can find any of those uh, papers or whatever they were and see if I can verify this information. We're going we're gonna to make a deal with you. If you find that information, you get it to us, and it will go on the website, the DaxMyHand.com website. We will put that on there because right. that's we'll, legendary. We'll try to find it. Very good. Tell us, uh, tell us about some of, of what are your aspirations as a as a coach? Uh, do you want to continue on with what you're doing, or what? You know, look at yourself, say ten years from now, fifteen years from now. Where do you see Briston Prowl ten to fifteen years from now? Hopefully, coaching a high school team somewhere. Um, I think, I guess, if you grew up playing ball and you always feel like you want to come go back home sometime and coach. Um, but you also never know what uh, the good Lord has in store for you. Um, but if I had to just say now, I just I hope to be coaching a, a high school girls team somewhere in this area. You know, this is this is home, and and I enjoy it here. I, but you know, like I said, I could be somewhere else, but definitely see myself still teaching and coaching. Well, did you as you were uh, growing up as a player did? Did you think coaching was what you would want to get into? Yes. Really? I knew from a pretty young age this is what I wanted to do. I think when I was about eight, I thought I wanted to go play basketball at Vandy and be a doctor. I watched uh, – all I did was play ball and watch ER. I think maybe that's why. 
And uh, then by the time I was in middle school, I just pretty much knew I wanted a teaching coach. That was never really, you know, I guess, you know, when you're a senior, junior, and they make you go to all those high school meetings and want to know what your future plans are and what you want to do, that was never really a struggle for me. That's just always what I wanted to do. How how do you define success in coaching? What What is it that at the end of the day you say, you know, that was a success? How do you define it? Well, if, if you – I think I read a quote the other day that Coach K said, if you define success by wins and losses, you're a pretty shallow person. And uh, I tend to agree with that. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I like to win. But coaching middle school is giving me a different – perspective I guess when you get to see kids younger and go up success is those kids leaving you knowing how to respect each other knowing how to respect a coach or anybody that's ahead of them and and that they've learned something from you you know especially in middle school it's not realistic to think all those kids are going to go to the high school and they're going to play ball but those kids are going to go and do something with their life and Actually, I talked to my kids a lot about that. Um, I told them at the end of the season, I said, I know you all think I'm crazy. I know you, I yell all the time, and and uh, that's just me. And I told them how much I love basketball, and I said, I know that, that some of you will never love basketball the way I do. I said, but that doesn't change the way that I feel about you. And, and if, if I teach you anything, I, I hope that I've taught you to respect others, to respect someone that's above you, to get along with people that you may not get along with outside of the court and and just to, to be a better person and to go do great things in whatever aspect of life you decide to do. And I think if those kids go to the high school and they find their niche and find what they want and find their love in life and go do that, then that's success. You know, that, that seems to be a commonality of people that we talked is – at the end, you know, you're coaching a sport, but at the end of the day, you're developing a person and you want that person to be a success. You want them to be a better person and you're right. building, you're building the child to become a better person. Right. And that, that, that does seem to be a commonality that we've seen in, in the interviews that we've done and, and, and where we're going with it. 